Hello, and thank you for listening to Ask the Pastor, a segment of the West Hills podcast where you have the opportunity to ask and receive biblical answers on your questions from our lead pastor, Will Duvall. I'm your host, Allie Keaton, and I'm really excited to dive into the question this week. This week's question comes to us from Rachel, and she asks, Pastor Will, there are so many different religions in the world. How can we be sure that Christianity is the only true one? Well, thank you for that great question, Rachel. And I want to respond to it in three ways that I think will uh, respectively first encourage, second disappoint, and then third and hopefully finally satisfy Rachel. So first, my encouragement for you, Rachel, um, you really have asked a great question here for us for at least three reasons. So first of all, you imply in your question there that there is only one true religion. And this kind of goes back to last week, um, week four's. Uh, of the episode four of the podcast question about truth, the nature of truth, and um, the whole idea of relativism and my truth versus your truth. But I think implicit in Rachel's question here is that she understands, she gets that, you know, there there is only one true religion. There can be only one true religion. It could be true that none of them are the correct religion, but it can't be true that all of them are right. So perhaps you've heard the um, parable, the analogy of the blind men and the elephant told when it comes to the world's various religions. Um, so quick recap, you know, there's five or six blind men. One of them touches an elephant's trunk and says, oh, it's a, a snake. One of them touches his, the elephant's leg, says it's a tree trunk. One of them touches his, uh, you know, tail and says it's a it's a paintbrush or whatever um, and they go through and sort of the point of the story is that we all see in part none of us sees in full um, we all have our different pieces of the truth um, but you know it's, it's sort of a apologetic for um, relativism in a, in a way we all have our various truths I think <laughs> the irony of the parable is that it actually helps point out the fact that there can only be one truth um, it is possible that uh, none of us sees fully, um, and it's possible that none of us is actually describing an elephant and that Christianity is also wrong, and we just have our small little piece of the bigger puzzle. Um, but it's not possible that we're all right. I mean, the elephant can't be both a tree and an elephant. It can't be an elephant or a snake. Um, it's just an elephant. So the question does then become, as Rachel's asking, can we be sure that we're seeing the full elephant? So we'll get to that. Um, I think the second reason I want to encourage Rachel, though, is that you've asked a great question because you're actually looking around and you're trying to engage with the world around you. I think so many Christians that I encounter seem like they kind of want to bury their heads in the sand uh, and pretend like these other religions just don't exist. Um, if I if I choose not to engage with them, I think that's really unfortunate, not only because it's not reality. I mean, we live in the most diverse, uh, pluralistic, interconnected, global kind of world that, that, that humanity has ever seen. And uh, that causes, I guess, unique challenges to us in our evangelism and in our understanding of our own faith. But 
to me, it, it, we've got to look at that as an opportunity. Um, God is bringing the nations to our doorstep. Uh, we're connected virtually in, in ways online that we never have been in history. It's so easy to in, in, engage with people and with these other um you know, various competing worldviews uh, in a way that we never could before in history. We, we know about them. We can explore them and encounter them in new ways. But, you know, how can we as Christians live into our calling to be the light and salt in the world if we pretend like there's no darkness or decay? Uh, if we're not willing to open our eyes and see that not everyone has the truth of the gospel, then we're, we're going to be no earthly good to anyone. And so there are you know, believers who, who walk around and ignore these other competing answers to life's biggest questions. And then there are unbelievers who celebrate them and who proudly sport their coexist bumper stickers. And they love the fact that there are so many different truths out there to choose from. But I think the truth is in the middle that there's those of us who live in this awkward tension of saying, you know what, I acknowledge that your belief system is different than mine. Uh, but I don't agree that it's equally valid. And in fact, I disagree so much so that I actually think that if you studied and prayed about this long enough, God might actually reveal to you the falseness of your religion and the truth of his gospel. Um, it's, it's not just that we disagree, but that I think you need to see the light and be awoken to the truth. Um, not my truth. This is not about Will's truth. This is not about uh, West Hill's truth uh, or even Christianity as you know, a denomination or religion or whatever. This is about God's truth. All truth is God's truth. We want people to see uh, the truth of, of God and his word. And that can leave us as Christians feeling caught in between a rock and a hard place in a society uh, that we live in that is accepting of every perspective except the one that acknowledges his own exclusivity and says, no, these things can't all be right. Um, and it makes us feel like there's no easy options. But Jesus says in Luke 9, 26, whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this age, I'll be ashamed of him in the age to come um, when I come again in glory. And so really it should not be a hard decision for us as Christians of whether we're going to stand for Jesus, for his truth or not. Uh, we have to do that and just let the chips fall where they may. And um, that is going to mean that we're going to encounter um, quote, you know, persecution, but I, I use that in scare quotes because I think to, to tell those in the early church that what we face in our society today is persecution, um, you know, they would say, man, I'd, I'd love to have that kind of persecution. Um, we're not getting killed uh, in America today for, for the exclusivity of our truth. But we do this in love. You know, we don't beat people over the heads with our Bibles. And that kind of brings me to my third encouragement for Rachel. I think, Rachel, you're asking a great question here, not only because you're interested in these other religion, religions and exploring their truth claims, but I hear in your question there that you're also interested in probing your own faith as well. You want to know more not just about Judaism and Islam and Buddhism and Hinduism, but you want to know more about Christianity as well. And I think that's a really beautiful thing. I love that quote by Galileo who said something to the effect of, I, I cannot believe that you know, the God of the universe who endowed us with our capacity for reason and intellect um, intended for us to forgo their use. You know, why would God give us these brains if he wanted us to shut them off? Um, and I'll go further than Galileo, and I'll, I'll just 
not just state the case negatively, but to state it positively and say, I, I think for me personally, and I hope for you as well, Christian, that you've experienced thinking about our faith can really be an experience of worship for us as believers. You know, I think about the book of Job where God lets Job, you know, complain and doubt his, doubt his love and his presence and everything for, you know, some 37 chapters or whatever, and then God steps in and says, you know, Job, where were you when I created uh, this and that? And he kind of takes Job through and he says, consider the Leviathan, consider the behemoth, consider, you know, the planets and the stars. And I almost imagine God like taking Job by the hand and taking him on this tour of, <laughs> of creation and showing him these things and actually encouraging him, consider these, meditate on these things, look at these things, open your eyes and see, you know, Job, I've given you eyes, I've given you a brain so that you might think about, you know, m- me and my, my, my beauty, my majesty, my power, my glory in creation and beyond, and uh, that doing that can be an experience of worship for us um, and lead us to the truth. All right, so nine minutes in, enough delay. Rachel, let me try and answer your question here in, in my final two points. So point number one, encouragement. Point number two is going to be disappointment for you. My first answer to your question of how can we be sure that Christianity is the true religion uh, is to say we can't. Uh, and it really depends on what you mean by sure here, Rachel. If, if by sure you mean how can we be 100% scientifically, historically, you know, prove that Christianity is the one true religion? Um, can I be as sure that Christianity is true as I am sure that I'm married to Polly Duvall or as sure as I am that Donald Trump is the president, then no, we cannot be sure in that sense. That kind of surety would eliminate the need for faith altogether. altogether. Hebrews 11.1 says, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And so the follow-up question to that reply might be, well, what's so great about faith then? If God's really there and if Jesus is really the only way to him, then why doesn't God just come down again or like use a megaphone this time or something and remove all doubt? Why would why does God want us to have faith in the first place? Um, and that's another great question for a whole other podcast episode. So I'll, I'll leave, leave that one for a later time. But I suspect, Rachel, that you're looking for more than just, you know, have faith kind of answer. And so I want to leave you not just disappointed, but I want to try and leave you with some satisfaction. So here's my third and final response to you for the rest of our time. I do think there are good reasons, not conclusive proof, but good reasons for believing in the truth of the Christian faith over and against the truth claims of other various competing worldviews out there. Ravi Zacharias, a famous Christian apologist um, in our age, has three tests for truth. Um, this, these are his three criteria. Number one, logical consistency. Does it consist, uh, is it consistent with human reason, intellect? Number two, empirical adequacy. Uh, does this truth claim account for the, all the available scientific and historical evidence in the best way possible? And number three, experiential relevancy. Is this truth claim of this religion confirmed by lived experience? And so we don't have time here for a thorough examination uh, of the logical and empirical and experiential truth of all the various truth claims of all the various world 
religions, but let's just kind of start at the beginning with the first big question that all these various world religions are trying to answer. Start there and just kind of hold it up to Ravi's three litmus tests. So the first kind of big question, I think, is, is there a God at all? That's a good starting place. Is there a God at all? And I think that, that reason, that scientific evidence, and that lived experience all attest unequivocally to the fact that, yes, all signs seem to point to the reality of God's existence. You know, and Scripture itself bears this out. Psalm 19, Romans 1, all creation, you know, is singing the praises uh, of God. But so does reason. You know, we don't even need to open our eyes and look out the window. Um, we can just close our eyes and think uh, and we should be able to, to think up good reasons for believing that there is a God who's there. Um, and so I, again, don't have time to, to detail all of, the, all of these and run through them, but I'll just list for you five good arguments for believing in God. Number one, the design argument. The obvious order and design that we see in the universe is evidence that demands a verdict, to um, quote the, the Josh McDowell book. Um, number two, the cosmological argument, the, the argument from a first cause, you know, uh, even if the first cause was a big bang, you know, we've, as Christians need to ask, well, who caused it to bang, you know, who pulled the trigger or whatever. Um, and so again, I can't go into all the rational and scientific and, and whatever evidence here, but if, if you do and you research this on your own and I can put you in touch with that, Rachel, um, I think you'll, you'll uh, see that there is good, reasonable um, evidence for believing in the truth of, of theism, of, of the fact that there is a God. The moral argument, the moral argument for the existence of God is the strongest argument there is. Uh, not just that you um, need God in order to be good, but that good and evil don't even exist, don't even make sense as categories. Uh, um, moral judgments don't even make sense without some absolute standard of truth against which they're judged, and that truth must be God. Um, the argument from experience, again, we talked about experience, the argument from immaterialism. And so, again, don't have time to detail, but there are great reasons to believe in God. Um, and in fact, the cosmological argument uh, if we take it to its natural conclusions, is even strong evidence for the existence of an all-powerful, eternal, personal, caring God as well, which sounds like the God of the Bible to me. But okay, so so far we've only ruled out atheists and agnostics and maybe Buddhists because they don't really believe in God either. But then that leaves us with a whole lot of other various camps of theism, of those who do believe in God in one way, shape, form, or fashion. Is there evidence, additional evidence, for Christianity above the others, Rachel might ask? And as I was thinking about that question and preparing for my response to you, Rachel, this week, I thought, you know, we could take a tour of the other various world religions out there. We could try and address each according to its problems, one by one, point out the things with Hinduism that don't line up with reason and science and experience, their creation story, Hinduism's explanation of how we got here is... Um, it just doesn't line up. Point out the problems with Islam from reason and experience. But, you know, the more I thought about it, the more I realized that is a lot to sort through. Uh, and there's merit in that. I want to encourage you, Rachel, and encourage all our listeners and congregants at West Hills. Explore them. Explore the other worldviews out there, other religions. You know, I, 
um, sometimes tell the story of this uh, ministry, actually, that I ran at Culver, um, the boarding school that I came uh, to St. Louis from. Uh, one of the first ministries I started there was called Real Talk, and it was really sort of a more open-ended, free-flowing discussion, dialogue of worldviews. Um, and I would do things like invite, you know, uh, atheist teachers in to, to share their, their thoughts on things with the students. Um, and, you know, one of my fellow Christian sort of co-ministers at, at um, Culver confronted me one, one week about it and said, aren't you concerned, like, exposing these students to these other religions and other philosophies? And, um, and my response to her was, you know, Jesus said in John eight thirty two, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Um, and so I, I basically said, look, you know, uh, this, this ministry is not about preaching or teaching specifically. It's, it's about, you know, uh, letting the truth be known. And, and I'm going to let the, give these people a platform to, to put their truths out there. And I'm going to ask them difficult questions about them. And if they have better answers than I do, then, you know, so be it. But I'm not worried about that. I'm not worried about, um, someone else having more truth than Jesus. And so, um, all that to say, we could and sh- should explore these other faiths, if for no other reason than to strengthen our own convictions about the truth of Christianity, as well as to better inform our evangelism and our ability to share the truth with others. But at the end of the day, the only cre- question in this whole discussion that really matters is the question that I foregrounded in my sermon last week on the unforgivable sin, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. And so I'll just repeat that question here and refer you back to that sermon. What will you do with Jesus of Nazareth? And that is really the question that every Christian, every Muslim, every atheist, everyone in all of history has to or will one day have to deal with and answer for themselves. What are you going to do with Jesus? And there really are only those uh, three options that that C.S. Lewis laid out for us. You either bow to him as Lord uh, or you, you, you scoff at him as a lunatic or you spit on him as a, as a liar and a blasphemer. Um, and so for those of us who have answered that question about what we will do uh, with Jesus um, by, by unequivocally saying, you know, I, I will bow to him, I surrender to him, he's my Lord, then the next question for us becomes, and how are you going to live the rest of your life in response to his gospel, the good news of what he's done for you? And as someone who is, um, believes that the historical evidence for the death and resurrection of Christ outweighs uh, the other explanations for, for who Jesus was and what he, he did and what happened to him after he died, um, as someone who, who thinks that you know, the, the, the most logical explanation um, from reason and from history and science, but also from lived experience as someone who has personally, uh, experientially uh, lived the reality of resurrection as someone who was a hopeless sinner, um, doomed and trapped and stuck uh, in, in a pit of my own sin and, and despair, um, and who was grabbed by Jesus and brought out of that and saved and redeemed and rescued and given a new heart and given a new life, a new lease on life. Um, I know for me, the answer to that question of how I'm going to live the rest of my life now is that I'm going to live it, try and live it in wholehearted 
surrender to him um, and submission to him and, and what he's called me to do. You know, he has called me to be light and salt. He's called me to preach the gospel in all creation. He's called me to make disciples of all nations. Um, and if I believe that that's what he's left me on this earth to do, um, then I want to live boldly for him as a witness. I don't want to be found to be ashamed of him, even in a world that seems inhospitable to the exclusivity of Jesus's truth claims. And so Ephesians 4.15, I'll leave you with this, tells us to speak the truth in love. My experience is that the church today um, seems to have much more of a, tr- a problem with speaking the truth than it does with love. Most of us want to think of ourselves as loving, but friends, let's don't be loving to the detriment of those who we claim to care about. Um, caring about someone without caring enough to confront them with the truth of Jesus and the loving truth of what he has done for them, of paying for their sins so that they can be with him in heaven and don't have to experience the reality of hell. Um, that is, if we don't love them enough to confront them with that truth, do we love them at all? Um, we don't do it swinging our Bibles at them. Uh, but we do it in love with love. And so, Rachel, uh, I just want to end with an encouragement to you. One of the most loving things you can do to start with is to just simply befriend that person who believes differently than you and just ask them, what do you believe about God? And then just start by simply listening. Uh, One of the most loving things we can do is to listen to those who believe differently than others. But while you're listening, pray for them and pray for yourself. Pray that the Spirit would give you the words that that person needs when you respond to them, and that the same truth that once set you free might also set them free too. And if God would use you as the vehicle for his truth to reach them with the life-transforming good news of the gospel, then man, there is no greater privilege and joy than that in all the world. Thank you, Pastor Will, for such a great answer to another difficult question. And for reminding us how important it is that we continue to speak the truth in love and how important evangelism really is. Well, that's it for today's episode. False alarm. We're taking a two-week break now, effective for two weeks, for Pastor Will to take his vacation. But don't worry, we'll be back. As always, you can submit your questions at the info bar at West Hills or online at our website at westhillsstl.org. Thanks for listening, and we hope you subscribe.